Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for those you've placed in our lives uh, that uh, help us grow in our faith. Thank you that they remind us of your promises. They remind us of your love. We thank you for everything in your word. We thank you for everything that teaches us, everything that convicts us, everything that grows us, everything that reminds us of who you are, who you are to us, and and who we are to you. We thank you that it reveals to us the way to salvation, the way to reconciliation with Almighty God, and that it can only be found in Jesus Christ. We thank you that it reveals to us the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and how we have his power with us every single day. We thank you for everything it reveals to us. I pray that the truths of your word would be buried deep within us today and that it wouldn't just stay there or the the birds of the world to pluck it out. But Lord, I pray that they would bear real fruit in our lives. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Anyone who has been keeping track of societal trends has noticed a cultural phenomenon taking place over the past few years. This phenomenon can be known as wildly taking offense to anything, to basically anything anyone posts online or on social media. I'm not talking about the things that actually are offensive to people of different backgrounds. I'm talking about the things that make you go, why? Why are you offended by that? I found some actual reported acts of this other kind of offensiveness from universities around the U.S. from a couple years back. In December of 2016, the higher-ups of the University of Minnesota declared that bows and wrapped gifts were not appropriate for holiday gatherings and displays. Just the very image or bringing a present to somebody was deemed not appropriate. Apparently, even the color scheme of red and green was also deemed inappropriate. University employees were were encouraged to, quote, consider neutral-themed parties such as winter celebrations using color combinations not usually linked to Christmas or Hanukkah. What color scheme would that leave these days? Gray? I think everything else is used by both those holidays. In 2017, at the University of Wisconsin, among other phrases, the term you guys to generally address a group of mixed people was listed as a term to avoid using in everyday conversation. Just trying to get people's attention by saying, hey, you guys. I wonder if Philadelphians using the term use guys would be included in that or not. Sometimes people don't even think about what they're seeing or hearing before automatically getting offended. Like this screenshot of a tweet that was retweeted a few years back. Somebody retweeted this tweet. The original tweet was, this guy thinks it's cool to kill defenseless animals and then take a selfie. Jerk. Somebody retweeted it and said, so barbaric that this should still be allowed. No conservation laws in effect wherever this is. Now, can you see what animal has been poached here? (laughs) 
Apparently, Steven Spielberg was an avid hunter of triceratops in 1993. Getting offended by things seems to be the name of the game these days. When Paul outlines avoiding offense in our passage this morning, which we read in our scripture reading, he has something much bigger in mind than this. We'll see how this affects our everyday life as believers in Jesus. So the first point that we come to this morning is the point as we finish uh, chapter 10 in 1 Corinthians. This whole greater context that Paul has been addressing this whole time, which we've been referencing for quite a while now, is that which connects with the Corinthian Christians eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols in pagan temple celebrations. The Corinthians have apparently asked Paul three questions in connection with this. The first one was in connection with whether or not it was okay for any Christian in Corinth to attend these pagan temple celebrations and consume the meat that was dedicated to those pagan deities. Paul has spent the majority of his time addressing this first question because it was the most grievous out of the three questions posed to him in connection with this. Not only were, the, were, were those who claimed it was no big deal, not only those who were claiming it was no big deal, uh, actually doing harm to the spiritual growth of their brothers and sisters who had just come out of that background, and to them was a big deal, but there was actually something much more dangerous going on. Last week we discussed how Paul was saying that no, these pagan deities did not exist and those idols were meaningless. But what was really going on behind the scenes was that those powers, those pagan celebrations were really worshiping and dedicating that meat to were actually demonic in their source. That's what we looked at last week. Therefore, he commanded the Corinthian Christians, no matter who they were, to stay far away from those celebrations and consuming the meat that was obviously sacrificed during them. We then talked last week about things in our society that even many believers in Jesus don't think are big deals, but are really connected to the demonic realm and how we must stay far away from them. If you're wondering what those specifically are, that message is up on our website and our podcast platforms. In our passage this morning, Paul turns back to what the Corinthian Christians needed to remember, which would clear up controversies like this in the future. What's that reminder? Please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to be picking up in uh, verses uh, 23 and 24. If you didn't bring your Bible with you today, that's fine. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn there. It's in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 23. And he says, All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Within this context, there were some in the Corinthian church who had come out of certain pagan lifestyles and were trying to disconnect themselves from that past as part of their transformation process. They were being thrown under the bus by their brothers and sisters who wanted to place more emphasis on their rights as Christians than on upholding the spiritual growth of others in the church and brotherly love. 
That was the problem. So Paul reminds them here that yes, we have all these rights as children of God, saved by the grace and mercy of Jesus, especially in contrast to the Jewish law. But that's not the blanket mantra that can just be thrown in everyone's face, regardless of the circumstances. No sensitivity and understanding for the spiritual growth of those brothers and sisters must factor into the equation of whether or not you should exercise those rights. So in that way, all things are lawful, especially in connection with the Jewish dietary laws, but not all things are profitable for the spiritual growth of our brothers and sisters. All things are lawful, but not all things are edifying or useful for the building up of the church. And as Paul references in verse 24, we must always keep in mind the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Paul brought up elsewhere that he deserved the same financial support that the other apostles received, but he purposely did not take it for the sake of the Corinthians that he was trying to build a church with. He also wrote that he purposely lived his life for the sake of those he was trying to share the gospel message with. So he gave up some of his Christian rights to live like a Jewish person, to save some of the Jewish community. He gave up his comfort level to live as a Gentile, albeit still keeping the laws of God. He sought to, he sought to, to win those who were enslaved in this world just as much as he sought to those to, to uh, save those who were free in this world. And he even wrote elsewhere that if it meant the difference between a brother or sister growing in their faith or not, he would even go so far as to give up eating meat altogether. His point was exactly what he wrote to the Corinthians when he says, I do all things. This is how I live my life. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. He reiterates that point in verse 4 of our passage this morning. Our lives are not our own anymore to do with as we please. We have been bought with an impossibly high price, the blood of Jesus, and we are now God's. We now live our lives not for our own fun, but for the sake of the gospel. That takes the form of living our lives, not constantly succumbing to temptations, as we've been talking about in the not-too-distant past. That takes the form of seizing every opportunity to share the truth of God's love and redemption with everyone who crosses our path. Because of that, Paul was wrapping up this topic by relating it to the issue at hand. Live for your neighbor and live for your brother and sister by doing what's best for their spiritual growth. When we discussed this topic a few weeks ago, I mentioned that I'm sure there are many modern connections we could make with living in our culture today. These verses wrap up Paul's whole answer to that first question the, the Corinthians had in connection with the consumption of meat. If it's in connection with a pagan temple celebration, and that meat had obvious been, obviously been sacrificed to pagan deities, but in reality sacrificed to demonic powers, stay away from it. Not only are you causing spiritual harm to your brothers and sisters, but you're opening up the door in your life to demonic influence. In the next section, Paul turns to the other two questions the Corinthians had in connection with this. So the first point was the point. The second point was the personal. 
The second question had to do with buying meat at the market, and you had no clue as to whether or not it had been previously dedicated to a pagan deity. You see, at these pagan temple celebrations, animals would be sacrificed, and the worst parts of the animal would be burned up to the deities, and the best parts would be either served at the temple or sold in the marketplace. But then there was also meat that wasn't dedicated to pagan deities and was also sold in the marketplace. There was no way to tell which was which. In addition, the Jewish community in Corinth avoided the issue altogether and only bought meat sold at special Jewish markets. There were most likely some in the Corinthian church of Jewish background and were doing this very thing. So you could see how this could cause some tension in the church. Oh, you think you're better than me by shopping at this other market. Paul's instruction to this personal question. Verse 25. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. That's his direct and simple answer. What you don't know won't hurt you. In this case, the less the Corinthians knew about the origin of the meat, the better. Paul's advice was to just go to any marketplace and not make it a bigger deal than it needed to be. That's pretty practical advice, isn't it? See, the Bible is not unnecessarily impractical. It deals with living in the real world and still deals with living in the real world. Connecting to the real world today, unless you're saying something to then segue into a conversation about Jesus, it does not help the gospel mission to make bigger deals out of things in this world that don't need to be made out to be any kind of deal. Especially when it comes to being personally offended about things that really have nothing to do with God. If someone calls you a name or cuts you off in traffic or behaves rudely to you, doesn't do something the way that you would have done it or gets under your skin, that's not the end of the world. We need to humble ourselves and remember what's truly important in life. I mean, what usually happens is it's usually something that wounds our personal pride anyway. That's usually just what it is. And it, it is not a big deal. Especially in those cases, we need to remember Paul's instruction we just talked about and put the message of the gospel ahead of anything we feel and how much we want to give a piece of our mind to somebody. We need to take these things and let them go and give them to God because he is the one who is sovereign over our lives. He is the one whose opinion is the only one that matters about us. The second question was whether or not it was okay for a Christian to attend a dinner party at a pagan friend's house that they were invited to. Again, similar to the immediately previous instruction, Paul says in verse 20, uh, 26 and 27, For the earth is the Lord's and all that it, it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience' sake. Don't ask any questions. What you don't know won't hurt you. Eat whatever they serve to you and don't make any kind of deal out of it. 
Rather, use the fact that you're not making any sort of deal out of it to show your unbelieving friend that you're not judging them and you're only loving them with Jesus' love. If, however, as your unbelieving friend is serving the meal, another believer in attendance pipes up and discloses that the meat had been de dedicated to a pagan deity, then verses 28 and 29, but if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? Paul adheres to his previous instruction that you have no idea what spiritual state that fellow believer is in and to eat the meat would again bring spiritual harm towards that fellow believer. You don't know what's going on in their life. However, he does reiterate that if he's merely enjoying the meat by himself in private, then he doesn't need to worry about being a cause of spiritual stumbling towards anyone else. Again, this is all very practical instruction. So does this mean that as believers, if there are things that are not blatantly against the Bible's teaching, that we have to give them up altogether for the sake of our brothers and sisters? The simple answer is no, but Paul clarifies how and when that's okay. If something is not inherently immoral, nor blatantly against the Bible's teachings, and if you are not knowingly partaking in it in the presence of another believer that it could cause to stumble, then enjoy it privately in thankfulness to God. Paul further confirms this in the second part of verse 29 and into verse 30. Second part of verse 29 again. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? All of Paul's instruction has been for being in the presence of other believers up to this point. According to one biblical scholar, Paul wants to be clear that a believer does not need to change his personal convictions about what isn't blatantly condemned by Scripture as long as he enjoys that full Christian freedom privately and does so with thankfulness to God. Again, very practical instruction for everyday life. Apparently, Paul was being trash-talked behind his back for personally and privately enjoying food and drink that others struggled with. At the end of verse 30 is Paul's defense for why he shouldn't feel guilty about this, nor be bad-mouthed by the Corinthians for enjoying his Christian freedom and thankfulness to the God who gave it to him in the privacy of his own home. It was only when in the presence of others that he and other believers needed to be careful and defer to what would be best for others' spiritual growth. And that's what leads us to this general principle for dealing with anything having to do with this issue. Talk about the point, talk about the personal. And thirdly, we're talking about this general principle. Verse 31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. This is the general principle we have to follow when it comes to enjoying our Christian freedom. Do everything to the glory of God. Like we just talked about, if you are consuming food and drink or partaking in any other activity, especially privately, do it for the glory of God and give Him all the thanks for it. 
Let the Holy Spirit guide your conscience as it specifically relates to things not blatantly against the Bible's teachings. And do everything for the glory of God. If you're in the presence of other believers, verse 32, give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the whole church of God. Don't throw your Christian freedom in the face of anybody, whether it's a Jewish Christian, a Gentile Christian, or any believer from any kind of background. That's the kind of offense that we have to avoid. This does not include differing personal opinions on any given topic. That's not what this is referring to. This does include things that would be specifically detrimental to someone's spiritual growth. Why? Again, for the glory of God. Living for the spiritual building up of the church and not causing your brothers and sisters to stumble in their faith growth and transformation. Once again, Paul circles back to his whole point that he started this, his whole section off with, that he's been relating everything he's been saying up to, up to this point. Verse 33. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. Paul started out this whole answer to these questions from the Corinthians with, it, with, with chapter 8. And he says, now regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols, yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue that the deities don't exist and the idols are meaningless. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much, doesn't really know anything. But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. The first and greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? That directly connects to the second com greatest commandment of love your neighbor as yourself. Giving all the glory to God means loving him by loving his church and seeking to edify and build it up. Paul starts out this whole section with loving God as one bookend verse, and he bookends the other end of this section, the end of chapter 10, with loving your neighbor. Starts out with the first greatest commandment, ends with the second greatest commandment. Paul is obviously not saying here to make sure you're trying to please everyone. That is not what he's saying in verse 33. That's impossible. Believe me, I know. It's impossible to please everyone. Paul is not saying that he's not trying to please everyone as people. He's seeking to not give unnecessary offense to them for the sake of them listening to the gospel message and being saved through the death and resurrection of Jesus. If that means he has to give up certain Christian freedoms, as he's already referenced in chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, to reach them with the gospel, then so be it. And that's been Paul's whole ultimate point throughout this whole section of this letter. And that is this. As believers, the only thing that we should be offending the world with is the gospel of Jesus Christ. As believers, the only thing we should be offending the world with is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not what we think about the culture because they don't care about what we think about the culture. 
It's not what values we wish we could go back to as a country because they don't care what those past values were. It's not how offended we get by their music and movies and TV shows because they don't care what we're offended by. We bring you in on that secret. They don't care. The only thing that people don't like about us should only be the gospel. That should be the only thing that people don't like about us. If there are things we're publicly doing or saying that are off-putting and they have nothing to do with furthering the gospel message or building up our brothers and sisters in the church, then something needs to change. The only things we should have strong opinions about are having to do with furthering the gospel or building up the church. Everything else should not be that big of a deal. Should be held loosely. This section wraps up the whole contextual issue that Paul has been relating everything he's been talking about starting in chapter 8. Next week, we'll have a, a guest speaker, Dr. Dan Allen, who always does a good job bringing forth the truth of Scripture. After that, we'll be starting the, the next section in 1 Corinthians, starting in chapter 11 which deals with those confusing and often misunderstood verses that deal with the gender roles. Everything Paul has been talking about in this section we're wrapping up today has been about living our lives for the gospel and the building up of the church. Let us hold everything else, including what we think about everything else, loosely. If it has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ, hold it loosely. Let us live our lives for God's glory in everything we say and do. Let us look for the escape in every temptation and rise above it. Let that living out for the gospel be the first step in starting a conversation about the gospel. And let us collectively see what mighty things our mighty God will do in the lives of those all around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these powerful words. They rub us the wrong way, but that's not a bad thing. Lord, I pray that if there's anything that we're holding above the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would start holding that loosely, and that instead we would, re we would remain staunchly loyal to the gospel and furthering that. Lord, I pray that if we're struggling with something that is off-putting to the world, that is not, has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ or building up the church, I pray that you would remove that from our lives. We would start seeing that as not that big of a deal. And Lord, I pray that you would elevate the gospel in all of our lives. That you would remove any idols from our lives and you would elevate the gospel to the, the prominent place about and the mirror and the standard that we live our lives for is the, the furtherance of the gospel. We thank you that you chose us to be the ministers of that gospel, to take that message out to this world. And we pray that you would strengthen us as we witness the mighty things that you do as we share your word. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.